Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. And now, a word about the sponsor of our podcast, Anchor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. What did you think of the intro music? I'm obsessed. I've been wanting an intro music song for so long and one of my listeners reached out to me like a couple months back and we've been working on getting the right audio that kind of fit the my vibe and the vibe of the podcast I really wanted something upbeat and um just fun so yeah that was great I hope you guys enjoy it Anyway, what's up, everybody? I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Uh, I definitely did. Daisy and I drove to home to Ventura to be with my mom, and uh, I ate tofurkey, and Daisy got turkey off the table, so it was great. We also got our Christmas tree and watched Christmas movies. It was so lovely and relaxing, so relaxing, in fact, that I forgot to line up a guest for this week, but that's okay. You're going to get to hear me talk today. On another note, um, over Thanksgiving break, I fell down my stairs and fractured my ankle. So I'm in a boot. And in case anyone was curious uh, on the theme of today's episode, bones, um, it's just a small avulsion fracture on my talus and my cuboid, which are the bones in your feet slash your ankle, what we what we call the ankle. And, you know, it's not that bad. I'll be in the boot for, like, probably two more weeks. It It's annoying, but don't worry. I'm okay. <laughs> so, um, oh, we even examined uh, my – I asked for a copy of my x-rays, and we looked at them in my osteology class that I TA for. So, that was pretty fun. Kind of a silver lining. So, moving into this week's podcast recommendation, um, I quite literally just stumbled across this podcast on my Explore page of Instagram, and it's called the I Dig It Podcast, and it's hosted by Alyssa Loyless and Michelle Mariello. i sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, and they're part of the Archaeology Podcast Network, and they produce bi-weekly episodes. I really love their, like, co-host dynamic. I don't think, I mean, I guess more podcasts do but I think I think not a lot of like academic podcasts have like the, the co-host dynamic. So it was really cool. They bounce off each other really well. So definitely go check it out. Their Instagram is the at I dig it podcast. Super fun. The last thing that I want to tell you guys about before I jump into the episode is I am very happy to report. I talked about it in one of my previous episodes that I was going to try and only support small local artisan businesses for this my Christmas presents. And 
so far, all of my Christmas shopping, and I'm almost done, that I've done for all of my family and friends has been from small businesses. Yay! Super exciting, staying on my goal, and I definitely went shopping this small business Saturday rather than Black Friday. So yeah. All right, let's jump into this week's episode where we are going to talk all things Bones, the show. So I discovered Bones in middle school and I instantly fell in love with the idea that, you know, these scientists were giving someone an identity from their just their bones and the whole idea just really seemed to click with me and really appealed to me. So clearly it has influenced my path. I majored in I well, I currently major in archaeology and anthropology and I plan to pursue graduate school to become a forensic anthropologist. So Clearly, I, I love the show. It's honestly amazing. I thought it would be fun to break down a couple of the methods that they use in the show and talk about what's realistic, what's not so realistic. Bones, the TV show, premiered in 2005 on Fox Networks, and it's created by Hart Hansen, an associate produced by Kathy Reichs, an American board certified and practicing forensic anthropologist. Who is who also created the character Temperance Brennan in her national best-selling books, which I have read, I think, almost all of them. And a few of my favorites include Devil Bones, Bare Bones, Break No Bones, Bones to Ashes, and many, many more. So the show ran for 12 seasons until 2017, and it is based loosely on the Kathy Reichs books, but primarily on the main character, Temperance Brennan, who is an forensic anthropologist. However, throughout the 12 seasons that the show ran, they never overlapped storylines or any other characters other than Temperance Brennan with uh, Kathy Riggs' novel. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, so I have, before I get into breaking down an episode, I want to say that I have the utmost respect and love for the show. I do not want to discredit any of the work done on this fantastic show. I think Even beyond osteology, the show has many lessons about love, life, friendship, ethics, the legal system, and death, but I do want to take this opportunity to break down the show and honestly just present osteology to my listeners in a really fun and engaging way that can hopefully I can share a bit about what I learn and what I study while also discussing whether or not kind of how it's portrayed in the media by looking at bones. You know, there's lots of other, um, you know, forensic science shows like NCIS or CSI or um, Law and Order, but there's none specifically that focus as intensely as bones does on the use of bones to create an identity for the victim. Lots of other times they have a corpse, a fresh corpse, and they get the identity that way. But bones is a unique show in that it does focus on the work of a forensic anthropologist, which ultimately did inspire me to become a forensic anthropologist. So I thought it would really just be a fun opportunity to talk about Bones, both the show and practically some of the methods we use to determine age, sex, um, trauma, and other things in the actual Bones themselves. So let's dive in. What can you tell me? Not much. She's a young woman, probably between 18 and 22, approximately 5 foot 3. Race unknown, delicate features. 
That's all? Tennis player. How do you get a pretty tennis player out of that yuck? Hips is fusion gives age. Pelvic bone shape gives sex. Cystitis in the shoulder. Somebody just here must be an athletic injury. When did she die? Now, in that clip, you hear Dr. Temperance Brennan and her assistant, Zach Addy, sex and age the victim whilst at the crime scene looking at the remains still on the ground covered in dirt and silt. So this is the first glaring misnomer of the show that they constantly come up with age, sex, and sometimes even ethnicity at the crime scene while looking at the remains. In reality, to truly determine any of those things with the type of accuracy and methodology that's required in forensic cases, the bones would need to be cleaned, palpated, and even in some cases measured or compared to other samples. So it's not really realistic that they would come up with those things in the field. However, what is realistic is when Zach explains to a confused agent booth that they determined the victim's age based on epiphyseal fusion. And while Zach does not specify which bones they examined and determined to not have fused, examining epiphyseal fusion is a very legitimate way to determine the age of a victim. Let me explain the principles behind this. Bones grow via either interchondral ossification, such as the long bones or the bones of your hand, whereas flat bones, such as the sternum or certain cranial bones, grow via intermembranous ossification. Let's take the femur as an example. So the femur grows from five ossification centers, which means that at birth, you're born with just the shaft of your femur and two cartilaginous bulbs at either end. At about five years, the secondary ossification centers form at the end of either shaft Amongst the cartilage, one forms for the distal epiphysis at the end of the femur, where your femur would would articulate with your tibia and your patella. One forms at the head, where your femur articulates with your pelvis, and two more form the greater and lesser trochanters of the femur, which are just um, protrusions from the bone. This means that until around age 16, there is cartilage separating these epiphyses from the shaft until they are finished fusing. Since we have many studies on these patterns, it has been determined that these distal epiphysis, which again are where your femur articulates with the tibia and patella, fuses in females around 14 to 18 years old and in males around 16 to 20 years old. So this is very useful in determining the age of a young adult victim because it can give you very precise age ranges. And, and like they say in the clip that they determined the victim to be 18 to 22 years old. So way to go bones. And fun fact, the last bone in the body to fuse is the clavicle or your collarbone at around age 25. Next, Zach says they determined her sex from pelvic shape, which since the skull was shattered is again a very valid method of sex determination. However, I will note that sex does not mean gender and it is important to be aware that many people in our population do not identify with the male-female dichotomy and we must begin to accommodate for intersex and trans individuals in our osteological analysis. I'm very happy to say that we'll be investigating this idea further next week with one of my fellow undergraduates, Nina Wilson, so you can look forward to a more in-depth discussion on sex and gender in osteology to come. But moving back to the shape of the pelvis to help determine the biological sex of victims. There are many stark differences between a male and female pelvis, with the overarching theme being that a female pelvis is wider and more bull-like, which is, surprise, surprise, to facilitate the birth of children. Some of the specific features um, include the presence of a ventral arc on the male osteococcae, Osteococci is the anatomical term for the bones that are colloquially known as the pelvis. 
and likewise in the pubic region, a female pelvis has a thinner and more wide subpubic concavity to allow for the better passage of a child. Also, where the two ossococci meet at the pubic symphysis, the ramus, which is sort of a bony projection, is noticeably thinner and sharper in females. So it is very, very realistic they, that they would have determined the victim's sex based on the shape of the pelvis, and that is how. Now, after re-watching several episodes of Bones, I've come to the conclusion that in earlier years, the episodes and methodologies were far more accurate. <laughs> However, I must give props to them for always, by my observations, correctly identifying trauma and using correct anatomical positions when referring to bones such as proximal, anterior, posterior, distal, radial, etc. One example of an excellently identified trauma is when one of the squinterns says, quote, this is a comminuted fracture at the distal end of the sternum, whilst looking at a very clearly comminuted fracture, which basically means it was shattered into multiple pieces rather than a clean break. However, in other episodes, we have squinterns identify cranial trauma as fatal in the field, again, looking at dirty remains where you can't even clearly see anything, when realistically, it takes up-close examination of traumatic injuries to determine whether they happened before at or after time of death. Another example of this where they do address the peri, post, and anti-mortem dilemma, which means peri means at time of death, anti means before time of death, and post-mortem means after time of death, where they indicate that hemorrhagic staining does mean a cut was made perimortem. However, they do not always explicitly say that when they are in the field giving their observations. Well, in the clip that I shared, they properly and realistically sexed the remains. I think it is good to point out that there are many, many instances, particularly regarding the skull, where I feel like the show misstepped a little bit. Some of those include times where Temperance Brennan says, quote, the brow ridge suggests it's a female Caucasian or quote, based on the size and robusticity of the skull, the victim is female. While both of these do touch on actual characteristics and features used to determine male or female by using the skull, they don't actually, you can't just determine male or female based on the brow ridge and or the robusticity of the skull. So I'm going to break down some of the actual characteristics that would tell you and be able to indicate whether the skull of a victim was male or female. But again, there are many times where osteologists will classify a skull as a three, which means that it does not fall into the male or female categories. Again, something we will discuss way more on next week's episode. But here's an introduction. One of the, <clears throat> so the occipital bone is kind of the base of your skull. It's the back of your head. And there's a protuberance, a bony protuberance, that sticks out called the nuchal crest. So the more defined the nuchal crest is, the more indication that it is male. For example, if an occipital bone is completely without the strong nuchal crest, we can pretty easily determine that that is female. There are also five or six other characteristics that must be considered in conjunction with that characteristic to positively identify a skull as male or female. Those include the supraorbital margin, which is inside the eye. So if I were to be holding a skull, I would take my fingers and I would palpate that inner ridge. If you can pinch it, if it's very thin, that is indicative of a female. 
that is very thick, if it feels more rounded rather than sharp, that is indicative of a male. The mastoid process on the temporal bone, which you can palpate right behind your ear, it is um, a bowl-like projection, and the larger and more robust it is, it can indicate a male. Also, the brow ridge, which Dr. Brennan does mention, however, she does not use its proper name. It is called the supraorbital ridge, or it is also known as the glabella point on the skull. If you can pal- you can palpate in yourself. Um, for example, uh, Neanderthals had really, really thick supraorbital ridges and um, more inset eyes, but also typically males in general do have those heavier set brows with more inset eyes. And you can palpate the supraorbital ridge. It's more flat on females and more robust and round on males. Uh, the next is something that I'm always referred to as the George Clooney indicator. So it's called the mental eminence and it's on your uh, on your mandible, on your jaw. You can again palpate it. It's kind of the nice thing about some of the skull is you can kind of palpate things for those of you that may not know the anatomical terminology. And think about how George Clooney has this really distinct, bold, bulky, protruding chin. And that is because there are these ridges that form in more robust males called a mental eminence. Another less commonly used, but I still think very valuable um, characteristic is your um, your EAM, which is your ear hole, but in your temporal bone, the zygomatic bone connects right there and it makes sort of a line. And if that line goes past the EAM, it's more indicative of males. And if it does not go past the EAM, it is more indicative female. Another one is the ramus of your jaw. So basically going from your ear down to what forms kind of the right angle of your jaw. If you think about someone having a really strong jawline, why we can say that about men, for example, you're here, oh, that celebrity has such a strong jawline is because in hypermasculine skulls, the jaw, the ramus is at more of a 90 degree angle. And that is indicative of a male skull, whereas females have a more slightly sloped ramus. And this brings me to my favorite bone in the body. People ask me that all the time. They're like, what's your favorite bone in the body? It's kind of like asking someone that speaks another language to like say a sentence to you in that language. It's kind of an odd question. I never really know how to answer. But you know what? I think it's the zygomatic bone, which kind of is your cheekbone. And it literally kind of makes the shape of like a mini L. It's super cute. And it is where us ladies or anyone else puts highlighter when you're putting makeup on you want to dust that highlighter right on your cheekbone and that's actually your zygomatic bone so every time i put on highlighter i think about the fact that i am palpating my zygomatic bone the very last thing i will touch on is the idea of facial reconstructions and determining ethnicity from a skull so I am not going to go too much into determining ethnicity from a skull because I have really not been trained very much in that in my time at UCSB. And the reason for that is that the findings are so controversial. There's a very long controversial history of craniometrics and taking measurements of the skull and comparing them, you know, back in like the 1700s, you know, for example, comparing white people to African people and saying based on certain measurements of the skull that they were different. But 
as we discussed in an earlier episode with Ivana, um, there's a lot of new research coming out to make those methods um, much uh, better. For example, Ivana is studying various South American countries, Central and South American countries, and taking measurements from each country rather than looking at um, um, rather than looking at Southern American features. It's really not like that. It's more specific. And if we are going to build up a library so that we can determine ethnicity from measurements, it really has to be done on such a micro level rather than just generalizing white people, Asian people, black people, etc. So when they really quickly will say, this skull is Caucasian, this skull is shows um, Asian features in bones, it's really not correct. It doesn't happen that quickly. If it is able to be determined, it is controversial at best and not definitive like they treat it in bones. And the other big thing that is just not realistic is the facial reconstructions that Angela does every single episode. Now, I love and I understand that it is important for the show for them to have facial reconstructions. However, in reality, facial reconstructions are a very, again, controversial science. And while, yes, facial reconstructions are helpful, they definitely don't turn up looking 99% like the victim like they do in Bones. However, I think Angela, who she does a lot of the technology, if you haven't seen the show, she does all like the technological things. She has this computer called the Angelatron and it will put up 3D images, recreate crime scenes, sort through databases of weapons. It's basically like they they scan in the bones and then they use those measurements to compare trauma marks to various weapons. And while it's not realistic and that technology doesn't exist now, I think it's really important to look at these fantasized, perfect world, utopian science shows where everything goes right and see, well, what what computer could we make similar to that? What programs could we make similar to that? Could we eventually one day have an Angelatron? Um, so I think that's like a really cool thing that Bones does is I think that they show a lot of experimental forensics that we should really be taking some examples from. Um, like all the experiments that Hodgins does. And I definitely definitely have the utmost respect for Bones in pushing the boundaries and showing, you know, maybe the future in science. You never know. Well, thank you so much for joining me today for my little breakdown of uh, an episode or two of Bones. Uh, it was pretty freeform. I hope you enjoyed hearing me ramble about how to determine sex or... Um, Age from victims, I definitely did not cover everything. Nobody come for me. I am very much aware that there are a lot of things that I did not talk about, but I thought this would just be kind of a fun little rundown. Hopefully, I didn't bore you, and make sure to check in for next week's episode with Nina Wilson. Have a great week, guys.